Hello there, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and today we're going to talk about pragmatic optimism. But first, I want to tell you about a little something I've been working on. You know, if you've been a fan of the show for a while, you know that we're committed to evidence-based practices and no-nonsense practical information that you can actually use to help you build a life that works for you. And toward that mission, I've recently launched a Substack called More Better <laughs> that we're taking the practices that we talk about on the show and we're organizing them in a way that allows you to work on your life in a more cohesive way. Because let's face it, the wellness space is just flooded with things you could try. So how do you know where to start? How do you know what's actually good information? And every week I'm going to be adding to that. So it's free information available to everyone. There's also some paid upgrades and some bonus episodes there. It's still a work in progress, but you can find that at coachdar.substack.com. So that's C-O-A-C-H-D-A-R.substack.com. All right, let's get to the episode. Let's talk about what we're here to talk about. So even the positivity people get kind of down sometimes. I work as a coach with a few other positive psychology practitioners, and sometimes I've found that we'll get in our heads that we have to be these like positivity machines out there in the world. We'll have to be walking the talk all the time and somehow like magically twist ourselves into these like positivity reflections of life or we'll feel like we're somehow failing as practitioners. And if we don't do it, if we don't like hit that bar of living this great well-being life, are we really even positive psychology people anyway? Now, of course, we are. Like, we're human beings. Sometimes human beings get overwhelmed or grumpy or tired or sad or bored or whatever. But it's really easy to forget that when you're in a space that you're trying to help other people do good in their lives, whether it's find meaning at work or help people change their health and well-being, you know, pick a variable. And it isn't only clients. Like I do this too. And I know a lot of personal trainers and wellness coaches who think that they have to be perfect in the eyes of their clients and out on social media. Because if not, who's going to take them seriously? Who's going to trust them? Who and if nobody trusts them, who's going to hire them and like on and on and on and infinitum, right? And that road, that negative, reactive, oh, I have to project perfection and positivity, but in actuality, I'm a person in a process. That road just leads to burnout and feeling disenchanted with things that we once loved. But I think there's another way, not only for practitioners, but for everyone. Because I think that that forced positivity, it's like fake optimism. And I think Blind positivity, blind optimism is just as bad as the blind pessimists out there. In fact, I think that blind optimism is a form of toxic positivity. And if you go back and listen to the toxic positivity episode in June, you'll hear all about how much I am allergic to toxic positivity. It's this inauthentic, saccharine form of bypassing what's actually challenging in our lives instead of stepping fully into the human experience. So what do we do? Well, 
what do we do when the roof feels like it's starting to cave in? But we want to be positive people. We want to put good into the world. We want to, even just for ourselves, have a positive outlook, a positive approach, and a positive emotional state. And like I said, this happens to me too. This happened to me yesterday. My grandmother, if you've ever listened to the show, you know how much I love my grandmother. She wasn't doing well, but I had a deadline looming and someone in my close family has COVID. And so I needed to keep them from infecting the people in my family who are high risk. And I needed to get the work done so I could hit the deadline in it, in it, in. <laughs> so what do we do? What did I do? Well, conveniently, <laughs> today's episode is about the framework that I use on how I approach situations like that in a way that honors that they're difficult to move forward in a proactive and positive way. So let's get to it. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. And today we're going to talk about pragmatic optimism. How do we handle challenging situations in their actual selves? Not the like big picture, how do I build resilience? But when the challenges actually hit, how do we handle them? How do I handle them? How do I teach my clients how to handle them? I want to start with a quote by Martin Seligman. And I'm going to unpack who he is in a second. But 23 years ago, oh, excuse me, 24 years ago, Seligman wrote the book, Learned Optimism, where he shared his thoughts on optimism with the world. And in it, he says, quote, while you can't control your experiences, you can control your explanations, end quote. I have always loved that quote. Can't control your experiences, can control your explanations. Because I think it speaks to this core belief of mind and to wellness in general, that we have a say in our circumstances, not through what's going to happen to us, but through how we respond to them. And that can sound like that trite thing that we sometimes talk about on the show where it sounds like this cliche wisdom, but then you actually sift through it. And what you find is the reason that's become cliche wisdom is because it's actually like a core truth of the human experience. And Quite a bit about what I'm going to talk about today is speaking around the science at that core truth. You can't control the experience. You can control the explanation. And of course, there is a lot more to well-being than not having a say in our circumstances. Like our circumstances create our level of education, our opportunity, the ideas we're exposed to, our health, because we can't always change any of that. But lately, there's this other quote that's been just like ringing in my mind. It keeps coming up over and over again, which is who you are is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. So many of us learn the idea that optimism and pessimism are part of who we are. That you are an optimism if you're a positive person. But if you're a negative person, you're a pessimist. Back to Dr. Seligman, Dr. Martin Seligman. So if you've never heard of Dr. Seligman, he is one of the most influential psychologists of the last 60 years. So very early in his career, as a PhD student, he discovered something that's become the foundation of a lot of late 20th century psychology, this idea of learned helplessness. So... Dr. Seligman, before he was a doctor, realized that if 
we subject a mammal typically, like this has been replicated in all different kinds of species. He originally discovered it in dogs. If we subject someone to a negative situation long enough, like through a long enough time horizon, you'll give up trying to get out of it. You will learn that it is hopeless. But hope is actually one of the ways that we protect ourselves from it. So you can be more resilient to learned hopelessness, excuse me, learned helplessness, learned hopelessness is a book by Dan Tomasulo, learned helplessness by maintaining optimism. So Seligman goes on to do many other things, including formally kicking off what we call positive psychology. But one offshoot of learned helplessness has been Seligman's work on optimism and pessimism. And he calls these two explanatory styles. So it's how we explain our circumstances to ourselves. So let me pick up that example from the intro. Yesterday, my grandmother's having some issues. I love her more than anything. Don't worry, my husband knows. <laughs> She's having this bad day. I'm behind on the deadline. I run over to her house thinking that I'm just going to drop something off. But when I get there, Something is wrong and she really needs help working through it. So I sit down and in that moment, how do I explain my own struggle to myself? Is she a burden that I have to deal with and it's going to be stress and anxiety for however much longer she lives? Or is this an opportunity to connect with someone because how many more conversations am I going to get to have with her in my life? And I can always get the work done later, right? I can shove something else back. I can ask for an extension. I can figure it out. Now, it's been one of the biggest gifts in my life that I have learned about that kind of awareness. And it's also, I want to recognize the privilege that I have the freedom that I can just drop everything and run over there to take care of her. But being able to catch myself in that moment and to reframe if I'm having that negative thought to explain it to myself in that moment is an opportunity. That is explanatory style. So Seligman says that optimism and pessimism aren't part of our personality. They're part of this filter that we use to interpret the world to ourselves. And specifically, it's the filter of how we interpret our challenges. Pessimism is when we see challenges and difficult excuse me, challenges and difficulties and strife and all the things that come up in a human life when we see them as these three things. So pessimism is when it's pervasive, like, excuse me, permanent. It's always going to be difficult. Pervasive. It's not just this situation that's bad, but everything that's bad and personal. It's bad because I am bad. So pessimism is it's the problem makes it permanent, pervasive, and personal. Now, many people I talk to feel this way about the last few years that we're all in. And I want you to specifically think about how we talk about something like climate change, right? Permanent, pervasive, big and overwhelming. It's like the perfect example of how to cocktail learned helplessness. Or think about the way that wellness is sometimes marketed to us, that something's wrong with you. And so you need to take a supplement or do the specific workout so that you don't fall into everything that's wrong with you, right? That makes it personal. So if that's pessimism, the flip side of that being optimism 
that's when we react to the situation, recognizing that our challenges are temporary, right? They're not going to go on forever. They only affect the area of the problem. So we can isolate them to what the problem actually is. And they're not a reflection on me because bad things happen to everyone eventually. So let me spin this another way. If you're a pessimist, you think this sucks and it's always going to suck because I suck. And now everything sucks. An optimist thinks, wow, this, this sucks, but it won't always suck. It's just this part that sucks. And, you know, bad things happen to everyone eventually. So those are some pretty different lenses on how we interpret when challenges come up. But I also want to point out that while optimism sounds really good, the researchers into explanatory style are really mindful to point out that optimists are not very good at gauging risk and how things can go wrong. So like the rose colored glasses mean that you don't anticipate bad things that might happen to you all that well. So I've got a really great example of this about climate instability. To circle back to that, someone I know recently shared that they've never taken this whole climate thing all that seriously because they believe so strongly in human ingenuity that they know we'll figure it all out. And my take on it was, in order to figure it out, doesn't someone have to take it seriously? Like we need somebody who like recognizes threats and then is proactive so we end up with a solution. And I definitely don't want to go into a climate quagmire here. That's not what this show's about. I just think it's an interesting example that like on this really big scale, we can see the way that we're kind of being conditioned toward helplessness when in actuality, what we need is resilience and to be proactive. And so how we talk about our problems is going to affect how we react when solution times comes. I think there's a lot of other interesting examples out there like I've got friends who aren't saving for retirement because they really believe they're going to keep earning more and more money later on and they, they'll just use those resources somewhere else now. Uh, I know people in their 20s and 30s that don't prioritize sleep or healthy eating because they don't think that they're going to turn into the people who are languishing in their 40s and 50s and 60s. And that's a very common reaction that a younger person might have. And I'm sure we could find lots of examples but the question at the core really is, what do we do about this tension between the well-being benefits of optimism and the risk recognition benefits of pessimism? You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlie Marshall. We are talking about pragmatic optimism. How do we handle challenges when they come up in a way that can boost our well-being, boost our resilience, but still doesn't like, you know, gloss over the very real threats and risks and challenges that we all face in the course of our lives. So pragmatic optimism is built on some core ideas like straight out of cognitive behavioral therapy. So in cognitive behavioral therapy model, we, th we're, we think that our lives, something happens, something comes up, something challenges us, and then we just react to it, right? It's like, boom, boom, stimulus response, very Pavlov. Now, in reality, that reaction is based on a set of beliefs and internal programs, what I like to call your internal black box, the subconscious data recorder of 
your social programming, your unconscious biases, your beliefs about yourself, your beliefs about the world, kind of all of that together. We think that we don't have a choice but to react. Now, in reality, we can learn to pause, to like filter the black box feed a little bit and be intentional with our reactions, which is how we actually begin to change our behavior over time, right? We're shifting the feedback loop from just black box, boom, black box, boom, to like black box, pause. What are we gonna do with this? Now it's true, whether we're talking about habits we wanna break, how we communicate with our partners, our negative self-talk, pick a variable, everything that stimulates you, you could pause and choose something else. So when the challenges come up, how do we gain these benefits of pessimism, the hope of optimism in a stressful situation? It happens around what we do in the pause. And here's my three-step process for it. So step one, you got to recognize you're in it in the first place. You've got to catch yourself in that moment of stress, in that like stimulus response, that pause in the middle, you got to catch it. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about stress or overwhelm or burnout, you've got to own that you're in that place so that you could change the pattern. And it might sound easy and obvious, but how many people do we all know that get reactive the second that they get stressed out? So this step is really critical and it's harder than it sounds. But what I teach my clients is to pay attention to the signals of stress that their bodies are given them. So does their jaw get tight? Does their kind of shoulders grip up? Like what is it in their bodies that say they're in that moment? And through whether it's body scan meditations or we'll do kind of like the military does after action reports when the client has had something stressful happen, we'll revisit the situation, talk through their behavior and start looking for like, well, what were your signals that you were on that path? And that allows them to cultivate an awareness that this moment is happening. They can catch themselves in it. So when you realize you're in that moment of tension, it's time to move on to step two. Now, step two is to be 100% honest with yourself about the situation that you find yourself in. If you don't already have all the information that you need about the situation you're in, now it's time for information gathering. So here's another example from my own life. I definitely lean toward optimism. Anybody who knows me in my private life is gonna tell you that. Now in my 20s, it was probably a lot worse than it is now. Um, I had a very much like, it'll be fine spirit going for me. Uh, and it resulted in a few situations that I'm not very proud of. Now, one of them was I was in this job. that was just like absolutely crushing me. I wasn't making my bonuses. So I wasn't taking in as much money as I was used to making or that I had budgeted for. And I ended up racking up some credit card debt. Not not a ton of debt, but enough that I was embarrassed that it had happened. So first, step one, I had to admit that that's what was happening. The snowball was rolling downhill and I was about to get run over. Then I had to assess the damage and that's the step two. So like, how much debt are we actually talking about? What's the interest rate? How much extra money am I making? Where could I trim my expenses? 
What's a payoff timeline that's reasonable? Is that going to put me underwater? Am I even going to chip away? Like I needed to know the lay of the land before I could, you know, get my marching orders. You've got to know what you're in so you can figure it out. Now, one of the challenges of this step is to have that kind of situational acceptance without shame, blame, and guilt, because we know that they shut you down, right? I was embarrassed by the debt. So I was in a relationship at the time and I wanted to hide it. I didn't want to tell him, but ultimately I had to own it, right? The negative emotion could have shut me down and a lot of people get stuck here. So part of this step then becomes the emotional intelligence to work through the challenges when they come up. So you might go to therapy, you might talk to a good friend. If you don't have those resources, you could go back to June's episode, Emotions or Information, to unpack some of the challenging emotions as they come up. And you'll also want a growth mindset. Uh, For that, the August episode, changing your mindset from fixed to growth, because if you get stuck in that fix, like, oh, I failed, that's not optimism, right? Now we're stuck in the pessimism loop. So we want to embrace this growth mindset, like, okay, life and living, I'm learning through the process, here we go. So once you've got all your information clear, you've accepted your circumstances, you've let yourself feel your feelings. And you're really owning 100% honest with yourself. This is the situation that we are in champ. Now it's time for step three. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. We are two steps into the three-step process of pragmatic optimism. So step three, this is the big one for me. And once I have gotten to know myself well enough that steps one and two are kind of automatic now, I'm like in it. I know my circumstances. I'm not hiding from myself. Okay, step three. What is the most proactive and positive step that's available to you right now? Not a week from now. Not once your ship comes in. Not when you hit the lottery or you get like a sugar daddy or a sugar mama or a sugar non-binary provider person. Now. Get specific and go do it now. The most positive proactive step. Now this might require some brainstorming, right? Because you're automatic, like stress, react, stress, react. You might have to think of other solutions than what you would normally lean into to come up with something positive and proactive. But what you're doing there isn't just telling yourself like, okay, we're going to be the optimistic person. Now you're not just solving the situation you're in. You are training yourself, just like I just talked about how I trained myself to kind of do one and two automatically. You're training yourself that this is now what's in your black box. The more effort that you put into the problem solving, the investment in the honesty, the more that you're reprogramming the black box to do this as part of who you are. So Doing the proactive and positive thing gets you unstuck and it changes your circumstances. Not only does it change the way you think about the problem, it changes the way you think about yourself. And now you're actively engaged in solving the problem, which puts you in a different position in your life. Now you might have to repeat these steps many, many, many times if you're working through something really big 
right? Because if I take the proactive positive step toward a big problem, well, then I got to take another one and another one and another one to make progress. But when we look at like paragons of resilience, and I've got two cultural examples. So Viktor Frankl wrote about the Holocaust in Man's Search for Meaning. And James Stockdale wrote about being a prisoner of war in Vietnam in Good to Great. They both were in these incredible, long-term, high-stress, easy-to-lean-into-helplessness situations. And the processes that they describe match these three steps. Be honest, recognize that you're in a situation that requires pragmatic optimism. Be 100% honest about the situation that you're in, the resources that you have, what is actually going on with you. Accept those facts as true. And then do the most proactive, positive thing you can do right now. And then the next thing. And then the next thing. And that balances that hope, that optimism, that forward thinking without being blindly positive because you are being honest about the threats, the challenges, the resources, or the constraints. And doing this shifts your circumstances over time. And then because you're different and your circumstances are different, your opportunities are different, and things show up that weren't there before, gradually moving you in the direction that you want to grow. So one last thing is an affirmation that I give my clients when they're frustrated that the progress isn't fast enough. They want it to be over. They, you know, and I talked about on the show before, I work primarily in the past with people who've got chronic illness, catastrophic injury, like big, heavy stuff that isn't resolved by like, do some better squats. Baby steps are still steps, right? The point is not to have magic wand progress. The point is to lean into this process of life and living with intention and forward thought and grace and humility and self-compassion. So baby steps are still steps. The pragmatic, optimistic approach is about being honest with yourself, take the steps that you can, and then keep going. So baby steps are still steps. You know, it's been a wild couple of years. I can't imagine that there's not some kind of wild on the horizon that we can't even see. But that doesn't mean that we have to lean into the helplessness. That means that we've got to lean into the tools that make us more resilient, more compassionate, more flexible, more creative in our problem solving so that we can continue to grow and step up, recognize the challenges, and then really be ready to find the creative solutions so that we can grow into who we want to be as people, as communities, as families, as societies, as a species. You know, no big doings here. <laughs> All right. We would love to hear your feedback. I would love to hear your questions or thoughts about pragmatic optimism. So you can email me. I'm info at Darlene.coach. I'm on Instagram at Darlene.coach. Or you could check out that Substack I was talking about. It's coachdar.substack.com. And if you're a fan of the show, I hope you're already subscribed. But if you're not, do that. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. And of course, writing us a review always helps. We got to game that algorithm together. So thank you and be well. Thank you.